Money Roots is made possible by the support of our sponsor, Rooted Planning Group. Are you ready to take control of your financial future? Look no further than Rooted Planning Group, your trusted partner in financial well-being. At www.rootedpg.com, you'll discover a wealth of resources and expertise to help you thrive financially. Rooted Planning Group specializes in personalized financial planning, investment management, and retirement strategies. They understand that every financial journey is unique, and they're here to guide you every step of the way. With a team of experienced advisors, Rooted Planning Group is committed to helping you cultivate a secure and prosperous future. Visit www.rootedpg.com today to learn more about how Rooted Planning Group can help you grow your money roots. It says, I am a person of excellence. I have purpose, power, and potential. I am confident in my ability to create an extraordinary life. I accept full responsibilities for my actions. I am determined to pursue my personal goals and dreams. I persist in taking the positive steps that will ensure my success. I am committed to building mutually supportive relationships. I strive to help others reach their highest potential. I speak and act with integrity. I realize the rewards of being a lifelong learner. I am truly a person of excellence. Welcome to episode 52 of Wine and Dine with Amy Irvine. In recording today's podcast, you're going to hear about a new winery that I haven't been to on Seneca Lake. And as many of you know, I am in love with Seneca Lake wineries. So I'm going to do a little bit something different uh, in the intro uh, because I want to leave the the winery that we talk about for the actual recording. Instead, I want to kind of accentuate on the recording that I had with Lisa today. Uh, I'm reading a book right now called Traction by Gino Wickman. And it goes so well with the conversation that I had with Lisa today. And one of the very first chapters in that book is called Letting Go of the Vine, which is ironic considering all of our themes within the company. But it talks about the fact that change is scary. And I think as you listen to the podcast with Lisa, there's going to be a couple of of really good nuggets that you're going to take out of there. But in life in general, the question that you need to ask is, can you live with it? Can you leave it? Or can you change it? And if you're happy with the current state, those are the three options that you you have of your life. So as I usually say, sit on back, sip your favorite glass of wine, tea, coffee, milk, whatever it might be, and enjoy this podcast with Lisa Rustici. You are listening to Wine and Dime, a podcast that combines two passions, wine and personal finance. Hosted by Amy Irvine, certified financial planner and owner of Irvine Wealth Planning Strategies, located in Corning, New York. And now here's your host, Amy Irvine. Welcome to this edition of Wine and Dime with Amy Irvine. 
Today's guest is Lisa Rustici. Lisa is, let's just say, a zenny person. <laughs> I met Lisa several years ago at the Women's Financial Conference. Actually, uh, one of her um, esteemed colleagues, I guess you want to say, introduced us, and she spoke at the conference and has done so uh, for another year last year. Um, I think you're really going to take a lot away from this particular conversation. Every time I talk to Lisa... I feel so much more centered and, and she's not even my life coach, but every time I talk to her, I just feel like, wow, you know, this, this was a great conversation. Um, point being that she's not my life coach. Maybe she should be right. So, <laughs> so welcome to the show, Lisa. Thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you for having me. I'm honored. I am truly honored. Um, I, I think it's a little funny. I'm doing a podcast having to do with line and finances because neither one am I too savvy in. But thanks to women like you, Amy, I'm learning. I'm learning. It's not as scary as I used to think it was. <laughs> you know, it's funny because people do, they are afraid of wine. I, I mean, they, you know, they're afraid of talking about it because they think, oh, I feel, I'll sound like I, you know, I'm unintelligent or something. But yes. oh my gosh, I learn something new about wine every time I pick up a bottle or article or anything like that. And finance is so much like that. People feel like they should know the answers to this stuff, but you know, we're only as smart as we're educated. And you know, it's people feel like this is a dumb question. I'm like, no question is ever a dumb question. You don't self-diagnose yourself when you've had, you know, a headache for three days and say, Oh, it's, you know, this or it's that. Um, We have to go to a doctor. We have to, you know, go to an attorney that knows law and finances is, is no different than that. But I love the the fact that people often feel uh, in both areas like they they don't know enough to talk about it. But I think in both areas, just sharing their journey um, around those two topics is enough to talk about it, right? So, God, yes, that that puts me right at ease. <laughs> <laughs> so, as you as you know, we do like to open each episode with a reminder that our lives are very much like a vineyard, and when I'm talking to people, I can usually bring any situation back to the core of a vineyard. <laughs> so there's two things that my mind think about simultaneously. How do I um, get the next glass of wine that I'm really going to enjoy? And, and just one, of course, but then also finances are very near and dear to my heart. So I always like to remind people that our, our lives are very much like a vineyard. We're all so different, just like wine is so different. And we all have our favorite wines, just like we have our favorite parts of the vineyard. And so let's start with you talking about maybe what your favorite wine or your favorite vineyard might, might be. Well, believe it or not, um, I recently just discovered my favorite vineyard um, last year. It's Ventosa Vineyard. It's on Seneca Lake. Mm-hmm. It's uh, at the very tip um, near Geneva. Okay. Um, we discovered it because our son was married there. And um, believe it or not, we did not know anything about it before that. Um, but it's got this breathtaking view of the lake. Um, they have this beautiful terrace um, where you can watch the sunset. And um, their food and wine are, are truly exceptional. Um, people at the wedding were really commenting on how wonderful the food was and how great the wine was. Um, and so 
and what I did when I, after the wedding, kind of, you know, looked into it even more. And they actually produce bottle aged their wines on site and they don't use any herbicides. Um, their grapes are hand picked. So they don't produce a lot of wine at one time. Um, but what they do produce is really quality. And they um, are one of the few in New York State that work with this Italian variety of wines um, that are actually white. Um, so, yeah, so it's become our favorite, our favorite vineyard. Mm, and you know that I'm an ambassador for Seneca Lake Wine Show, right? So, no. Oh, so, yeah, so I love to explore the Seneca Lake wine trail, the Seneca Lake wineries, and I'm going to have to look that one up because it's not one that's on my radar. So, Ooh. yes. So I'm going to have well, to we can go together. That sounds great. You're on. <laughs> <laughs> I'm back in April. Let's go. <laughs> so that's interesting. You know, what's interesting about that story about finding your favorite wine, though, is that journey that you went through to mm-hmm. find... Um, that favorite vineyard and the fact that your son got married there, I'm sure adds some sentimental value to it. But there again, that's a part of our vineyard. That's a part of our story. Um, Right. When I mentioned, when I introduced you, I mentioned that you're a life coach. You're also an educator. You also teach at Corning Community College, um, first year students, kind of a life experience. Um, I, you know, I know a little bit about your background and, and your journey, but for people that have never met you or don't know much about you, how did you make that leap into life coaching? Like, what was your journey and your process into that particular career field? Well, as you said, I, I, I was also and am also in education. Um, I started out my adult career as an elementary school teacher and loved it, loved it. Um, in fact, my mother said I've always been a teacher. Um, in other words, I was always a little bossy. Um, so, so I think I have always leaned towards educating people. Um, and I've always learned as much as I've taught. So I think that's what keeps me going. Um, when we moved to Elmira about 32 years ago and we raised our kids here, I was only working part time. Um, I was doing a little bit of, um, substitute teaching. I worked in a church where I taught classes and I started teaching adults and I was there for 20 years. And, um, now our kids, of course, are older. And what am I going to do next? And I actually reinvented myself at the age of 55. Um, it was a little scary, but my daughter kept saying, mom, you know, you've been doing this forever. You just didn't realize it. You just didn't call it life coaching, but you've been helping people, you know, live their best lives. And I think you would be really good at this. I think you should go get certified and do it. So that's what I did. And I have not looked back. I absolutely love it. It's, it is a passion of mine. Um, I've done all different kinds of things with it. I do meet with people individually, but I've also given talks. I've also taught classes. Um, and then two years ago, I got the opportunity to teach at Corning Community. And that has been one, that has been wonderful as well. I'm, I'm loving it. Um, just being back in the classroom, it really felt like home. And again, I'm, I'm helping students, um, you know, create their best lives. So it's a passion and it brings me a lot of joy. So uh, there was a couple nuggets in there that I want to make sure people heard. 
One of them was you reinvented yourself at 55. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. You know, a lot of people that I talk to, I'll ask them, you know, what their ideal life would look like, right? If money was no barrier, what would your life look like? Anybody that's listening mm-hmm. to this podcast has heard that a million times. And oftentimes people will say to me things like, well, I only have three more years to work or I only have, you know, five more years to work or nine more years to work. And, and that always breaks my heart when I hear people say I only have because yes. it feels like they're, it feels like they're wishing your, their life away, you know? Yeah. And instead mm-hmm. what I'd love to hear is I get to get up and go to work and, you know, for X, Y, Z more years or, You know, Mm -hmm. I want to work at this existing job for nine more years. I get a lot of value out of it, but then I want to do something else. Right. To me, that's, um, that just, that makes my heart sing. That makes me feel good. Yes. So a lot of people think at 55, like, well, well, what I do. And the fact that you said, I reinvented myself at 55. Mm -hmm. Talk a little bit about that. That's just not like a flippant comment. That was a process. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Talk a little bit about that. Well, um, I really think that um, gone are the days when we become something at age 18 and we're stuck with it. Um, I really think, especially with our young people, what I'm seeing is they, they are flexible and they really do value loving what they do as opposed to just making money at it. Um, and this is something I've, I've read a lot about recently is that they just have that different attitude about working. So, um, one of the things I have found for me is when I talk about success, it's finding that balance between all the have tos and the want tos. And, you know, we all have those have tos that we, we should be doing, taking care of ourselves, creating a career, maintaining solid relationships. And then we, we seem to separate that from the want tos, you know, oh, traveling, a nice home, you know, making a positive difference, you know, having fun. But I think it, it, it kind of leans into what you're saying. I think the epitome of success is when your have tos turn into want tos, you know, when you want to go to work, when you're excited about your work, when it doesn't feel like um, you're putting in eight hours of drudgery and then coming home too tired to enjoy anything else. Um, you know, so if you have a job that you like, if you, um, you know, have people in your life that you want to spend time with, when you schedule time for relaxation and fun, I think that's when you begin to really love life. And, and I call that success. Mm-hmm. I don't think is something or our loving life is something that should always be delayed. Um, I think it's something, you know, trying to find in every day a way to enjoy and, and love your life. And when you're doing, which I, I'm sitting here listening, thinking, yep, the birds are singing as you're chatting. <laughs> um, but <laughs> when you're talking to people, whether it's the students that you work with or the life coaching that you do, Digging into that deeper, what is it that you love to do? 
What talents do you have and how can you do that? Um, I remember I attended a class. I spoke at one of your classes. Mm -hmm. And I asked you to hand me something. Do you remember what that was? Hmm. I don't. It was something that you read and you read it at the close. Oh, the pledge. Yes. Yes. And I'm just going to take a moment because I want, I want you to answer the question that I asked, but I want to take a moment and set the stage for how you might answer that question. So this is something that I copied and you gave it to me and I copied it and I laminated it. And oh, wow. And I have it on my whiteboard in Florida. I have it in my um, organizer that I carry around with me. Oh, wow. I have it in my office in New York in a frame. And so it says, I am a person of excellence. I have purpose, power, and potential. I am confident in my ability to create an extraordinary life. I accept full responsibilities for my actions. I am determined to pursue my personal goals and dreams. I persist in taking the positive steps that will ensure my success. I am committed to building mutually supportive relationships. I strive to help others reach their highest potential. I speak and act with integrity. I realize the rewards of being a lifelong runner. I am truly a person of excellence. When you first read that, I got goosebumps. And when I sometimes have a really rough day, I read that. And I read it probably the way I just read it. You know, this was, this is, as you can tell, I have it pretty well. (laughs) Oh, yeah, there you go. But you read that to your students every day, right? Yes. Yes. I have them read it. Yeah. And at first they kind of, you know, they kind of look like, uh, what is this? You know, they're, they're a little uncomfortable with it. Um, but it's amazing over the semester how they really start to adopt it and start to feel it on the inside. And every good journey starts with that belief that you can actually do it. And um, we have so many students that come to us who aren't really sure that they have the capability, you know, to create their own life, that they have any type of excellence inside them, that they have any confidence to you know, um, believe and and follow their dreams. And I would say that there's a lot of people in that boat where they they just, they they see what they want, but they lack the confidence to get there. And um, I personally believe that there is greatness in every single person, that somehow they have forgotten that, that they have left that behind, maybe based on their life experiences And if they can just tap into that, if they can just look within and find it, um, that is, that is a huge step forward in creating that, that life that they can love. Mm -hmm. So when you were thinking about doing the life coaching and you said you again reinvented yourself and you decided that was a direction that you wanted to go, 
what what drove you down that path? I think, you know, um, you really set the stage so much earlier in life for what you're going to do later in life, but you don't even realize it. Mm-hmm. And so for me, even teaching little third graders, when they would come in, I, I have such a propensity to help people feel good about themselves. And it starts young. And so I was doing that, you know, with the children I taught. I tried to do that with my own children. Um, and I just have always felt that I want to be that person that, you know, helps people see how great they are. And, um, this seemed like another step in that journey, you know, that it was another way to reach people and bring some joy into their lives. And I, I really don't change people. I can't do that. What I try to do is inspire people to find that light within themselves And um, I give them tools. I give them some real tools to do that. But I want them to look within and see that there is good there, that there is something there that they are meant to do. And I tell my students this all the time. There's something you're meant to do that nobody else in the whole wide world will ever be able to do. And, you know, before or since you. So, you know, um, there is something you're meant to, to give the world. And if you don't do it, it won't happen. So let's say that somebody, you know, whether it's your students or somebody like me reaches out to you and they're looking for that. I'm going to twist your words a little bit. You said you, you find the light within them. So I'm going to say you help them find that guiding light Mm -hmm. (laughs) being the corny person that I am, you know, but yeah. You know, what is, there's a lot of fear around asking for help a lot. Oh gosh. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I see that in my profession when people come to me and they're asking me for financial guidance and help, they're afraid. They're afraid I'm going to judge them. Yes. So yes. I assume that you probably, and maybe that's a wrong assumption, but I assume you probably get the same thing. Somebody's asking yeah. for help. Mm-hmm. What are, yes. what are the, what are some of the, I mean, how, how do you break that barrier down? Well, um, first of all, they have to make the call, you know, or they have to contact me. And that's usually the biggest step, you know, that first step. So um, when I'm teaching a class or I'm doing a talk, you know, I think I try to become approachable. You know, I think I try to become someone that they think they can talk to. So I share a lot of my own story. Um, you know, I suffered from panic attacks. I was a perfectionist or I'm a recovering perfectionist. Um, I don't do everything perfectly. And I don't mind sharing that because I think it helps them understand that there is no such person. And so I'm hoping by being approachable that they will at least take that first step. And then once we connect, I do a free um, session to start because there has to be chemistry between um, myself and them. You know, we have to have the right, um, I guess, you know, uh, attitude going into the relationship or it won't work. Right. So we meet and we, we kind of talk about things in general just to see if we're going to connect. Um, and 99% of the time we do, which, um, I, I feel really grateful about. 
Um, and then um, from there, we, we talk about where they want to be. And, um, you know, everybody has that vision for their life. Like you said, you know, what would you do if money were, weren't an object? Mm-hmm. I think people have that vision for their life. Um, and so they will tell me where they want to go. And then that helps me pick the right tools to get them there. Um, one of my favorite, favorite tools that I start out with, with all my clients is a gratitude journal because you really have to start appreciating where you are before you can move forward, in my opinion. Um, so I get them to focus on all the blessings that they already have. And that is an immediate mood booster. Um, we even do it with our students now. Um, you know, so it is something that helps you to focus on abundance rather than lack. Mm. Uh, and I think even in finances, that's beneficial because if you're constantly focused on what you don't have, you never really feel um, gratitude. Mm-hmm. I um, just did an interview with my nephews who are 14 and 11. Aww. It was the cute. I, I have to say, like, I don't normally <laughs> like really say, go listen to this. You know, I, I think it's everybody's journey, but if you want 30 minutes of hysterical conversation around <laughs> and honest, oh, I'm sure honest. Oh, yeah. One of the things, you know, one of the things that was said, cause they were down here visiting us and, um, I, what, I asked them what the biggest lesson I ever taught them around money was. And the 11 year old said that money doesn't grow on trees. <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Amy has said that. Um, but you know, the other thing that, um, we talked about was, uh, their grandmother gave them spending money for Christmas for down here. And, um, every time they would go to spend some of that money, I said, I would ask the question, is that how you want it? Is that really how you want to spend the money? And there were several times where we were like, mm, I don't know, maybe not. And then there were other times that like, yep, that's how I want to spend my money. I'm like, okay. You know, yeah. so they right. did a really, um, they spent less than half of that money. Yeah. Wow. They spent less than half of that money while they were down here yeah. uh, because we were asking that question. And, and where I'm making the connection around that is that I think when you have a, a gratitude towards what you currently have, when you go to purchase mm-hmm. something and you say, do I really want to spend my money that way? Or does that really make me feel better? It's, it's that little conversation that we have with ourselves sometimes totally changes, yes. it completely changes the next thought. Right. Right. Exactly. So, so yep. you have, Great. you have everybody do a gratitude journal and then what's the next step sort of in, you know, from there? Um, it depends on the person, but often I will, um, eventually get to the point where I have them actually write, um, a life, uh, purpose, a life mission, maybe like a mission statement for their life is a better way to put it. Um, so that they have a focus, you know, sometimes when you ask people, um, so what is it you, you would like to have in your life or what are you missing or whatever, or what are you looking for? You, you get these vague kind of responses. Well, I just want to be happy. Well, what does that look like? Well, I'm not sure. Well, that's probably why you don't have it because you know, part of it is knowing what it is you're looking for, what it is, you, you know, you want. 
So I try to get them to flesh that out a little bit. And um, one way to do that is to write a personal mission statement. What is it that you want your life to be about? What What is it you want your destiny to be, your legacy to be? Um, and then when they they come up with that, what's so great is then they can eliminate those things that don't fit. Mm. You know, if you're saying that you enjoy, you know, being with people, that family is really important to you, then why are you working 24-7? Mm-hmm. You know, why are you never with your family? You know, you can see that there that's a real disconnect. So I get them to see what it is they really want to to focus on what do you value? What are your core values that, you know, um, you would never want to give up? And what are your passions? What would you get up in the middle of the night to do? If someone called you at 2 a.m., you jump out of bed and go do it. Because you, if you don't have those things in your life, then you really will feel disconnected. And I don't think you'll, you'll love life the way you could. So that personal mission statement, and, and this is the training that you were given, right? This is the, this is part of the program that you went through. Like that's some of it, I'm sure is your own personal spin and what you've mm-hmm. seen works and yes. doesn't work. But, but some right. of the training that you've gone through has taught you this process, correct? Yes. Just, you know, how to offer tools that will help you know, individuals and you, and everybody that comes to me obviously is an individual. And so I don't have a pat, you know, response to things. I really do listen to where they are, where they're coming from, what their concerns are. And so everybody I meet with, it's more an individual process. So when you talk about sharing your journey, I I mean, that definitely breaks down some barriers, right? People don't feel like they're going to be as judged if, if you've yes, been through exactly. some of the stuff as well. And, and whenever, whenever right. I'm interviewing other financial, um, planners, I'll ask them, like, what is your biggest money mistake? Because there's always this, there's, <laughs> there's always this perception, like, we don't ever make any money mistakes as financial people. But, you know, we've had all these years prior that, Yes, I've been in this profession 25 years and I'd like to think that I make decisions about money without emotion. But if I'm going to be honest with people, I have that too. And I certainly have, I certainly have parts of my life where I've made money mistakes and, and they have too. And so I think that tends to break down that barrier a little bit as well. Yes. And, you know, people know that we're not perfect in our lives either. <laughs> no, no, not we're, we're on a mission mm-hmm. to find, you know, um, fulfillment, but that doesn't mean that we're perfect. Um, so, right. so tell us a little bit about, you know, in this journey for you in what you're doing now and, and what you have done, is there, is there like a favorite part of the vineyard, a part of your life that you can look at and say, I am so glad I took that risk or I went on that journey or, you know, I enjoyed sitting in the middle of of that vineyard for that moment because it just enriched my life so much. Well, I have to say that I have been very, very fortunate in my life. I've, I've had a lot of love and support and encouragement on my journey. I still do. 
Um, I am very, very blessed with the family I grew up in. I'm very blessed with the family I have now um, that, you know, my children, my husband, um, our new daughter-in-law. Um, I feel that that foundation that I grew up with, that love and, and encouragement has really given me an opportunity to, um, you know, be that encourager and that support for other people. And so um, I feel blessed that I'm able to um, be in a profession that brings me so much joy. I feel blessed that um, I can help people in a way that really can make a, a big difference in their lives. Um, I feel blessed that I've been given opportunities that some people have not been given. And um, I guess the more I think about them, the more I realize, um, you know, how grateful I am. I, I also think that um, I grew up with a, a real faith. My parents have very deep faith and they pass that on to, to all of us girls. And so um, being able to grow my faith and make that a part of, of my everyday life, you know, through my work through just spending time alone and in time and stillness and through gratitude and through all the things that I try to do on a regular basis, you know, has made life very mm -hmm. fulfilling. Um, are there still things I'd like to do? Absolutely. You know, I would love to do some more traveling. I would love to, you know, spend more time with family. Um, and I think those things will come, but to wake up every day and, and be grateful means that I have a lot of blessings and um, I, I feel like, you know, when I think of a vineyard, I think of like being out in the sun and what happens to those grapes over time is they, they mature and they get, they get mm -hmm. sweeter. And um, I feel blessed to know that my life has gotten sweeter as well. And um, yeah, it's, it's really a big, um, part of my life is gratitude for that reason. I love that you reference that or kind of circle back around to that because I often will say, you know, as we get older, um, and more mature, uh, in most cases, mm -hmm. um, you know, that it, it's like a good bottle of wine is it sits in the bottle just a little bit longer. Uh, you know, the, the flavors tend to mesh together a little bit longer. We age well, you know, um, but the, yes, but there's do. also a certain point where it starts to go the other way. And so balancing out and, and taking, if we let things sit too long, um, you know, it, it, it's, it, the balance becomes uneven, right? And mm -hmm. you had made the comment that, living within the time and being grateful within the time that you are right now, that's, that's a really important balance to have. Yes. We need to plan for the future and we need to be thinking about that. But going back to that whole gratitude journal, if we're not enjoying the moment that we're in and balancing our lives out a little bit, that bottle of wine can sit on the shelf a little too long and turn to vinegar, right? Yes. You know, so many people are living in the future or living in the past, you know, which um, really they don't exist. 
You know, the past and the future do not exist. It's just something in our mind that we've created. But um, to really look at each day and find the beauty in each moment, even um, like your conversation with with your nephews, you know, how many conversations do we miss because we're thinking about something else or we're focused on something that hasn't even happened yet? Um, you know, I think children do this so well, you know, go to a, a school sometime or go to a playground and just watch kids because they are so in the moment um, that they they are really the epitome of enjoying life. You know, they, they really just stay in the moment and enjoy what, what it has to offer. Uh, if we would do more of that, I think we would be a whole lot happier. I also want to pull out something that you just said about living in the past. Mm-hmm. Um, there's bitterness that can um, overtake our lives if we do a little too much of that, right? Oh, absolutely. Yes. When you're working with people, um, do you find that to be one of the bigger barriers? It is. Um, and as a life coach, I am not trained to do any kind of like psychological evaluations. Mm-hmm. Um, I really try to focus more on moving forward than, you know, looking mm-hmm. back. But um, I did have um, an 86-year-old woman that I was working with who had a lot of anger, a lot of hurt um, from her past, and she was still carrying it. At 86. And it was really at 86. Yeah, I know. And I really just felt called to help her enjoy her last years. Um, I felt that, you know, um, this would bring her a lot of peace. So I had her um, write a letter to her deceased mother, who was the source of a lot of her anger and a lot of her hurt. And um, I had offered her many tools, but this is the one she grabbed onto. And she wrote the letter to her deceased mother and she read it to me. Of course, it brought a lot Mm -hmm. of tears. And after she read it, it was as if a weight had been lifted. She had such uh, a twinkle in her eye um, and and just a, there was a, like a, a radiance about her that I had not seen before that. And, you know, she's like, I, I am letting this go. And she promptly got up from the table and took that letter and threw it in the trash. And and she died not long after that. And I, I like to think that she died with a lot more peace. Oh, Lisa. Yeah. 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 When do you think that most people, what event in most people's lives generally, you know, caused them to reach out to you? Like, is there like something in particular that happens as a, I know it's across the board, it's probably a lot of different things, but what's sort of the catalyst? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for helping me with the right word. I, you know, there's usually something that makes people reach out to me and to you. And that's a variety of reasons for me. I'm sure it is for you as well. But I, I think there's always 
with something that pushed people? Well, um, I hate to say it, but usually it's when they've, they've come to a crossroads, you know, a huge crossroads could be like they're facing retirement or empty nest or whatever. Um, or they've come to the end of the rope. They've tried other things and nothing has quite worked for them. Um, and so, yeah, it's usually something, you know, major that they're facing that they, they really, um, feel like, okay, I, I, I just cannot do this alone. Um, and then, you know, then they re- reach out. So it's at points of desperation at times. At times, like. yes. Mm-hmm. Um, what do people expect? When they start working with you? Well, I think if most people were honest about it, they would probably say that they expect me to fix it. And Mm -hmm. sometimes that means fixing somebody else that they're, you know, having troubles with or fixing a situation. And I make clear pretty early on that the only fixing that's going to go on is within themselves. Um, you know, and, and it's so interesting when they finally make that shift, you know, um, where they come in thinking, okay, something here has got to give. Um, and then they make that shift to, oh, I see. I have to look at this differently. So, you know, there's that famous quote of, you know, 99%, um, are things that we, you know, have happened, but it's, you know, or, you know, that's that percentage of, you know, well, how do I look at this? You know, life, life may be 90% of things that I've got to deal with, but that 10% of mm-hmm. how am I going to look at this and how am I going to deal with this in a positive way as much as possible? That is what makes all the difference. Mm-hmm. So... I, I think I could talk for hours about this. Like I said, every time I have a conversation with you, I just walk away feeling so much more centered and just thinking about things differently. Um, but I do want to shift gears just to talk and, and give a little bit more about your background and story so that, again, when people are listening to this, if they're on that edge of, I don't know what to do, or I feel like I need to work with a life coach... They have a little bit of additional background about you. So um, I love to talk about, uh, I guess you want to say the formation of the wine, the formation of the person. Uh, you know, everybody has different um, taste buds for sure. Oh, yeah. Um, I, I love the really rich, dark, um, almost have to chew wine. Like the more <laughs> complex, you know, the better. When you take that first sip, you're like, mm, boy, there's some layers in there. And then by the second sip, sip, you're you're really you're focused on it. And by the third sip, you're you're starting to break down those layers a little bit and, and figure out what's what are the influences on that wine. So I guess I want to ask to you, you know, maybe what are some of the influences that you have in in your life and career starting with you know as a kid were you included in money conversations and career conversations at all was that part of your upbringing no i um i knew very little i didn't know how much my dad even made um i was not included in money conversations my dad was the main breadwinner we're talking you know growing up in the 60s here mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. my mother was a homemaker 
She paid all the bills. She still does. Um, she was pretty frugal. Um, I think of the two parents, she was a little bit more so than my dad. Um, we were, you know, middle-class family growing up. We didn't always have the latest and greatest. I remember I had a friend who's both, who had both parents working. And so at Christmas time, she always got much more than I did. And at the time I thought that was just, you know, such a big deal. And now I look back and I think we always had what we needed. Mm -hmm. My parents did send us, you know, to school for college training, whatever it is we were into. Um, They did insist that we get little part-time jobs or full-time jobs in the summer um, in between college um, semesters. So I did that. I got my first checkbook at age 17 and I promptly overdrew it in the first three months, I think. Um, (laughs) So that was a life lesson there. Um, my mom can still balance her checkbook to the penny. I, I did not get that skill. Um, and then when I started teaching, I was making very little money. I taught at a Catholic school. Um, so I really wasn't focused on my finances, but it was pretty depressing. Um, I used to say that when I deposited my paycheck at the bank, they would hand me a sympathy card. You know, it was, it was pretty bad. It was pretty bad. And so, you know, with not making a lot of money, I never really saved. I didn't think about long term. Um, I was single. And um, that's a mistake I think I'd like to go back and correct if I could. Um, I think listening to you and listening to people talk about finances, it's always wise to save something, you know, because it adds up over time. And I just Mm -hmm. never thought I could do it. I also didn't think I could live on my own. So I never attempted it. Um, I think if I had, you know, pursued that a little bit more, found a roommate or a couple roommates, um, I could have lived on my own before getting married. And I think that's an important step, you know, before you get married. I think it would have taught me a lot more about budgeting and saving. But I just didn't think I could do it. So I did not. Mm. So that's one of the areas that uh, if you, you could talk to your younger self, you would have that conversation. Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. And, and so did you include your kids in any kind of money conversations? Um, my, my husband did probably more of that even than I did. And okay. um, I think they grew up with a very good sense about money. Um, my husband is a CPA, has always worked in the financial arena, and he's always been a saver. Um, so I think mostly because of him, our children do respect money. They see its value. I think they have a very healthy balance. They save money, they're, they're financially secure, but they also are generous. Um, they also have fun with their money. I, I like to see them enjoy their money because they both work very, very hard, as does our daughter-in-law. Um, so the only money concern I have for them, to be honest, is that someday, you know, that there may not be Social Security for them in their retirement. Mm-hmm. You know? So like how much more do they have to save now? to enjoy Mm -hmm. retirement, you know, Mm -hmm. um, I think it's something they'll probably really need to think about. 
Yeah, I think that and, and the fact that pensions are, are you know, the, the, the standard pension, the, the old style pension where we know that, you know, every month there's going to be some, yes. um, some kind of money coming in. I mean, I think everybody, everybody has the thought that you know, Social Security is going to be around in some way, shape or form. It may be very different than it is right now, but that coupled with the fact that pensions are a wave of the past. Right. So the burden is now on, you know, us saving for those days and probably working longer or working part-time or reinventing ourselves when we're, when our first or second or third career is sort of at its lifespan. And, um, but, but it definitely changes the image of the, the way that we look at, you know, a secure income in retirement for sure. Yeah. I mean, that's, yeah. you know, yeah. I, I'm working with a lot of people, your kids age, that's kind of the, the group that, I, I mean, they're my age to be honest. And so, you know, I, I see their pain. I feel their pain. I see their struggle. And yeah. in a lot of cases, it's, it's a lot of competing goals. College is so much more expensive now. Um, it's, it's retirement, it's housing, it's cars, you know, the competing goals that, that are, they're faced with, um, saving retirement on top of that, that in the past was not a competing goal because most large employers had a pension plan. Right. Exactly. Yeah. It's gone away. Yeah. yeah. Um, so that is a valid concern that, um, you know, I think a lot of uh, parents have, even, even for my nephews and my nieces, I have that same concern because who knows what it'll look like when they get to that age where they're, you know, even working at the stage. Right. But, right. Uh, do you think there's any, um, your husband being a CPA, was there any particular advice um, that he has given to you or your kids that you would say, like to share that you feel is really great advice? Well, he, as I said, he is a great saver. And I have always struggled with that. And I think, um, you know, when we first got married, we tried to do a, a detailed type of budget. And it was just really hard for me to sit down and, and really stick to that strict, you know, kind of detailed budget. So, um, you know, what I think I heard recently, which I think, you know, it kind of makes sense is we've always put away all of the money we needed for whatever, you mm -hmm. know, savings, insurance, we, we, all that, most of that comes right out of the paycheck. And so, um, then, you know, whatever's left over, is more so the um, discretionary, you know, um, and it seems to work a little better for us. Um, but I also like your idea of putting the, the cash in the envelopes. And I thought, mm -hmm. you know, when, we, or when we're in retirement, I almost think that might be something I'd, I'd like to try, um, you know, because it makes it more real. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, so you can actually see where everything's going. Um, but he's always been, he's much more the saver. And because of him, you know, our, our kids went to college and, and I was able to, um, you know, work part time and raise mm -hmm. the kids, which, mm -hmm. um, we really valued. I know mm -hmm. not everybody can do that. And, mm -hmm. um, I think kids understand when that's not a possibility, but because I could do that, um, you know, I could be a hands-on mom. And mm -hmm. that's a gift that, you know, he gave our family. And I, I really do appreciate that. 
And I think in a lot of cases, you know, it's um, now it's it's mom and dad, right? I mean, sometimes right. the dad the dad yeah. stays home, and um, yeah, you know I that. Yeah, and I and I do as well because it, it, even though the parenting style might be very similar um, or agreed upon, you know, you you get different, like you just you get a little bit different right direction okay. so uh, you know a lot of times we'll sp- we'll see parents kind of switching on and off anymore in today's yeah. you know digital environment heck both parents could be working at home and tag teaming that so it's it's very different in today's world on that respect has there been um any advice that you and your husband or you know you've heard your kids have that, that they've been given that you're like, what? <laughs> no way would we do that. <laughs> or, or it was advice and it was like, oh my gosh, I wish I had known the consequences to that. Yeah, I think um, they're both pretty, uh, they are very good about money. Now, I remember having arguments with my daughter trying to buy her something. Okay. Normally you hear those arguments with, with moms and daughters where the, the daughter wants something and the mom doesn't want to do it. We had the opposite. I would want to buy something for her and she would be saying, no, no, no. Um, so I know that they got deep down, you know, the, the value of money. Um, and sometimes I think um, I would have to remind them to also, you know, enjoy their money. You know, that it's okay to let yourself have some fun with it. So mm-hmm. They both um, have taken trips. They, um, Heather actually, uh, you know, in, in stark contrast to me as a single woman, um, she just bought her own house um, in Baltimore. So I'm so proud of the fact that they have done so much better at, you know, at saving their money, at, at earning money, um, and, and that they have been able to be financially secure. And I think, you know, I'm, I'm very proud of, of how they look at money and um you know but like i said i think a lot of that was more so due to my husband mm-hmm. but i also believe that you know we've heard from different people in the family that you know if you if you spent money on wants that 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 was just like wasting money mm-hmm. and i just don't believe that you know my grandmother never really had two nickels to rub together but she was one of the most generous people I ever knew um, with her last dime, she, she would buy a, a card or a note and, and send it to you for your birthday. And she was also one of the happiest people I ever knew. Um, and we all know you can't buy that, you know, you can't. Uh, right. Right. And I think it goes back to that whole balance conversation, yeah. you know, that uh, we don't know how long we're going to be on this planet. Um you know, it, I'm not saying go blow it. I'm not saying go crazy, but I do think it's important to plan for enjoyment as well. Yeah. Yeah. If your basic needs are being that you need to you need to influence your life with what you love. And, Absolutely. you know, that's, it's, it's really important. Lisa, I know that I um, told you it would be 45 minutes and I've clearly gone over, um, you know, my, it's it's like you know my welcome is running out so i do want to i do want to ask you just a few final questions that i sure. i just i i really am looking forward to your answers on this um probably of all my guests um this 
This is probably your conversation today. I, I am really looking forward to the answers. So I'd love to know what your definition of success is. Well, I think it goes back to that balance between the have to's and the want to's and really choosing to make some of your have to's want to's. You know, if you can look at all the things you walk around every day saying, oh, I have to, oh, I have to do this. Oh, my gosh, I have to do that. If you can somehow look at those and turn it into a want to or I choose to, Mm -hmm. I choose to go to work today because I'm I'm going to make a difference, you know, or I, I choose to take care of myself and exercise, you know, because I think I feel better when I do that. <laughs> I think if you can, can do that as much as possible in life, you are going to feel successful. Um, no matter what's in the bank, no matter, you know, where you live or what kind of car you drive, if you mm-hmm. can look yourself in the mirror and say, you know, I am really living my best life at this point in time. I'm doing the best I can. Um, I'm helping others in some way, shape or form. That's key. You know, I'm living up to my values. I'm, I'm really paying attention to how I spend my time. Um, I think those things, you know, are a great measure of success. I think they are as well. What feeds your soul? What, oh. what recharges you? So many things. Um, as I said, I've been blessed with a long time faith. Um, and I tried to feed it every day. I do um, a period of time in the morning where I do some spiritual readings, a podcast. I do that. Um, prayer, music. Sometimes I just sit in stillness because I feel like life can get really noisy. So I will just kind of sit in the quiet. Um, and then I balance that with getting together with family and friends. Um, my husband and I are both half Italian, so, you know, we've, we've got to do that over <laughs> a meal. <laughs> um, we, I try to take long walks. I volunteer. I exercise. Um, all these things recharge my spirit. And um, I have learned that when I fill myself first, I have a lot more to give. The final question, well, the next to final question, because I always like to end with a fun one, but um, what is the one piece of advice you'd give listeners? I would say um, find something every day to be grateful for and do something nice for someone every day um, without looking for recognition. Mm-hmm. So that random act of kindness, you know, if you can do a random act of kindness and then at least find one thing for which to be grateful, I think it will change um, how you look at life. I actually did a thing um, a couple years ago. I wrote these little like love notes and anonymous love notes, and I put them all in all different places, like behind the chips at tops and um, in, in a random bathroom at McDonald's and, and I would just leave them. And, you know, I would, I would have so loved to be able to watch people find them, but, um, that wasn't part of it. Mm -hmm. It was just a matter of, of spreading some joy. And, um, I just felt so good about that. So, you know, there's all kinds of things you can do. And, um, it'll make you smile, but you know, if you can make someone else smile, all the better. 
I love that idea. Have you ever heard of the thank you program? Or thank you. Yes, yeah. I have. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's yeah. that's it's very similar. It's a little bit different in the sense of you know you just did it as a, a random act of kindness. But the thank you, the idea behind the thank you program is to write. Some people, it's one thank you card a day. I know some people have been even more aggressive than that. Um, but it's something very similar. It can be something like, thank you for smiling at me. I mean, when you yeah. have a really bad day um, oh, yeah. and somebody smiles at you, it completely changes the way you feel. Oh, gosh, yes. You know, yes. I, during yeah, the, very much. During the holidays, um, we rarely go into any stores, maybe a grocery store. Like from November on, like my husband and I do not go. <laughs> it has to be desperation. Like Amazon is our friend during that period of time. Because it's just, it's, and I worked in retail when I was in high school and I and developed a, you know, a, a negative connotation with the holidays because of that, because people can be very mean. Um, but when I do during that period of time go into um, a store and it might just be a grocery store and you can just see the stress. Oh yeah. For yes. these people that are working that front line, there's nothing that will change. And I'm talking from experience, but there's nothing that will change their day than saying, thank you. Absolutely. It, Absolutely. They are stunned by Dude. it. They stop and look at you and they, I thought them like start to cry because yes. they are so stressed and people have been so nasty to them for hours. Absolutely. That they yep. just, when you say thank you, the emotion hits them. And it's very similar to what you're talking about. And it is a an enormous joy not to see them cry, obviously, but right. for them to take a moment. It doesn't cost anything. If they just breathe, they just yep. breathe exactly. for a moment. Exactly. Yeah, it's an incredible feeling. Thank you for sharing that idea. Um, so, my final fun question is you know, the idea of wine, and you mentioned it, you said you and your family get together around food. Um, partially Italian. Um, what do you love to pair with your favorite wine? What is your favorite food? Well, um, now my favorite wines are really white. Mm. And um, in fact, Ventosa has a very rare, as I said, Italian varietal wine with this Chukai Friulano, I think is how you say it. And um so I, I really like it and it's a white wine. So you would say, oh, good with lemon chicken, good with Parmesan, you know, crusted tilapia or Baltimore crab cakes. But I have to admit that I have been known to toss aside all the traditional suggestions and I will pair any kind of wine with my mom's spaghetti or homemade pizza. Because <laughs> that's heaven, you know, so... If I get that, hey, whatever wine is available, I'm okay with it. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Break the rules. That's what life is all about, that's right? That's right. That's right. <laughs> um, I will. Absolutely. And that's what I mean about we have prejudgment on certain things within our lives. Um, 
And uh, sometimes we need to just eliminate those prejudgments around wine, around finances, around coaching, and just say, we're going to break the rules. We're going to go outside and ask for help. We're, we're going to be vulnerable and we're going to, you know, just explore opportunities within life. Lisa, thank you so much. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Wow. I just love having you on. I love what you're doing in the community. I love that you've been part of the women's event. Um, We will post your contact information, Lisa. Are you taking on new coaching clients right now? Are you? Yes. Yes, I am. Yes. Um, We will definitely post your information in our show notes for people to be able to reach out to you, um, you know, via email um, or or cell phone or whichever way you like. We'll get your contact information. Make sure we post the right information in our show notes. But thank you so much for helping me get recentered. This particular uh, show was important to me, not only because I wanted to talk to you, but I have had one of those weeks where... Um, it's, it, I've loved every day coming to work, uh, but it's been a little challenge. <laughs> so yeah. I needed to yeah, be centered and reminded why I do what I do. And you certainly help with that. Thanks again. Well, Amy, I have to say you are a person of excellence. Oh, thank you. That's very You're meaningful welcome. to me. I'll post that too, because I think for um, people to know that this is a part of my yeah. life. Um, and it's Absolutely. really, it, I don't know if you knew how meaningful it was to me at the time that you gave it, but it is definitely no, a part of my daily life. Yeah. Thank you so much, Lisa. Thank you. Have a great day. And that will about do it for this week's episode of Wine and Dime. You can visit Amy on the web at irvineadvise.com. Or you can follow her on Twitter at Amy Irvine Advise. Or on her Facebook page, Irvine Wealth Planning Strategies. If you have any questions, comments, or topics that you would like to hear about, feel free to contact us through Twitter or Facebook, and we will do our best to answer your questions. We would love to hear from you. And thank you for listening.